Today's first scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our next lesson is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, You may know that this is... Volume 2, actually, in Luke's message, right? Luke wrote his gospel and then dedicated to the same person, Theophilus. He wrote what we call the Acts, the actions of the apostles to describe the beginnings of the first church and its movement, especially across uh, modern-day Turkey and into uh, the rest of the Roman Empire westward. So let's read together Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, 
he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. When they, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, or hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I wonder, has any new year in your lifetime? Some of you are older than me. You've experienced more new years than me. But has any new year in your lifetime been felt quite the same as this one has? I certainly don't remember one. Uh, One of my favorite rock and roll bands growing up, and really for the last 25 years, has been Counting Crows, and they had a hit song when I was 16 years old called A Long December, and we had A Long December, and it was actually from like March till December, didn't we? Uh, On New Year's Day, the band tweeted one line from their famous song, A Long December. It simply said, Maybe this year will be better than the last. And I thought to myself, back when this lockdown happened, and then every sort of thing started unraveling in the summer, they probably thought about this and thought, set a little alarm on their phones saying, on New Year's Day, remember to tweet this line. It will be funny and clever. And sure enough, at least to me anyway, on Friday when I read it, it was. Maybe this year will be better than the last. I wonder if any new year has made you, on the one hand, more hopeful that it will be better than the last, and I wonder at the same time if any new year has given you the feeling that maybe you shouldn't hope too much that this year will be better than the last. Do you have those conflicting feelings? Should I, I should hope, but not too much. We're full of uncertainty, aren't we? And we're waiting We're waiting for what? Well, we're waiting for our vaccine doses. We're waiting for the R-naught, the uh, reproduction level of this disease's transmission to keep going down and down. We're waiting for this thing to get under control. We're full of uncertainty and waiting. And like I was telling the kids briefly, uh, We as a church, in many ways, do have to wait, right? Wait not only, of course, to all be able to be in one room together to greet one another with a holy European-style kiss again, but we have to wait in a lot of ways for many of the things that we want to do outwardly focused. We're in the middle of our year of turning outward, and yet 
we can barely gather with one another, much less with our neighbors safely. So there's uncertainty there too. How long until we can finally, in many different ways, turn outward towards our community? It's uncertain. But one thing is certain, we can't wait with our reading and our learning and our praying and our thinking about how to turn outward. And that's the purpose of this series in the book of Acts, to think and to learn and to pray alongside the first disciples. Thinking and learning and praying really describes the situation, the circumstances that these disciples were in. First at the end of Luke's gospel, which Jonathan read for us, and then at the beginning of the book of Acts. We're calling this the seven missional acts in Acts. Acts like acts in a play, right? Uh, Seven phases of action in this long book. We don't have time to go through all 28 chapters, verse by verse. But there's seven phases of action, and we want to hit on each of them. These times when the scenes sort of shift, and the story picks up momentum, and God moves in particular ways among his people to make the good news stick around the ancient world. And this first of the seven acts in Acts, this first act doesn't feel like much action. I mean, Jesus is doing lots of action, but the disciples aren't really doing much, are they? They're thinking, and they're learning, and they're praying. But mostly what they're doing is uncertain waiting. Uncertain waiting. Think with me of the phases of uncertainty that the disciples go through in these two passages that we read. First, Jesus has died, but he hasn't yet risen. And then Jesus has risen, but he hasn't yet appeared to us. And then Jesus is appearing to the disciples and teaching them, and he's especially teaching them how he fulfills the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And the disciples are having these wonderful Bible studies at these sporadic times when Jesus shows up. And yet Jesus hasn't yet taken his throne. The disciples are anxious for Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel, as we read. And then Jesus ascends to his throne, but he has not yet manifested his reign and rule visibly yet. Look with me again at the end of Luke's gospel. If you need to flip back, you can. Luke gives us the account of his rising. And then verse 36 and following of his appearances. Luke tells us Jesus led these Bible studies, 44 to 45. Uh, 47, he gives this small hint of what his disciples' future mission will, all, will be all about. Verse 50, Luke tells us how he rose to heaven's throne. And then there's this overlap at the beginning of Acts 1, isn't there? Luke again gives us verses 3 and 4, his appearances. Verse 2, his teaching. Verses 5 and 8, the promise that the Spirit's on the way. Another version, verse 8, of the disciples' coming mission and work. And then verses 9 and following, another account of his rise up into heaven to sit on God's throne. And so at each stage of this process, 
The disciples are not clueless. They're not completely in the dark. But they are nevertheless uncertain. They know he has died, but they don't know what that means for their relationship to him and for their futures. They know that he is risen, or at least they've heard that he's risen at first, but they don't yet know if they should believe these reports or what it would even mean that he was alive again. Then they see him alive, but they don't know how his death and resurrection exactly fulfill the Hebrew scriptures that they loved so much. Then they know more as he teaches them about his fulfillment of the Old Testament, but they don't know yet what it means for their future and when, at last, God's kingdom will fully come. So at every stage of this bizarre experience, it must have been a strange 40 days or so for them. They're looking around at one another. They're looking up into heaven to the Lord. And when they get a chance to actually put their eyes on the risen Lord Jesus, they're looking at him and they're asking him, okay, wow, but, but now what? And every stage along the way, they learn. They have their, their aha moments. And gradually they're learning, aren't they, to expect the unexpected. The English missionary to India, uh, William Carey, has famously said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Well, here in Act 1 of the Acts of the Apostles, here in this period of uncertain waiting, the disciples are kind of learning this, aren't they? Expect great things from God. Attempt, eventually, great things for God. But that's just it. Before we get to Act 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, as this story unfolds in the drama, when the disciples attempt these great things for God, they're learning first. In the midst of all kinds of uncertainty and confusion, to expect great things from God. His sacrificial death, his resurrection, just as he said. The Lord's appearances, his ascension, again, just like he said. His seating on the throne of heaven, just like he said. And then finally, as we'll talk about next week, his sending forth of the Spirit, just as he promised. The Lord is building their confident expectation in this period where they're nevertheless full of uncertain waiting. Somebody else has pointed out something important about what William Carey said. They said, notice that William Carey says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. But what he does not say is, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. The same words, but in a different order. My parents have always joked with me that I have a ready-fire-aim kind of personality, right? Um, My parents always wished that I would be a little bit more of a measure-twice-cut-once kind of person. (laughs) But unfortunately, I'm age 40, and I'm still full of ready-fire-aim instead of ready-aim-fire actions. I'm tempted 
all the time in my Christian life to attempt great things for God. And then once I've attempted them, to then start expecting great things from God in that order. I leap before I look. I try to produce uh, before I pray. And I think, actually, that a lot of us do that. Not all of us are as uh, impulsive as maybe I and my type are. But regardless of our temperament, whether we are careful planners or whether we are impulsive risk takers, I don't think many of us have really understood this act one principle, the William Carey principle. We want to be the center of the action. We want to be doing great things for God, or at least for our church, or at least for our family, or at least in our work. And then we get to going and doing those things, and then we expect God to come behind us and sort of sprinkle divine magic dust over our actions and bless them and make them prosper, right? And then when the Lord doesn't bless our carefully planned but very underprayed for plans, then we get discouraged, don't we? And we start thinking, huh, maybe I can't really expect great things from God. But the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples in this act one period, this period of uncertain waiting, to learn to expect great things from God, to expect that the things that he promises are actually true. To expect that we can and that we will grow in the fear and in the knowledge of the Lord over time and with study and with prayer and with watchful waiting. We're learning to expect that he is with us even when we cannot see him. The disciples, most of all, are learning to expect that the Father in heaven loves, loves, loves more than anything else to exalt his son, the Lord Jesus, in the world. And that the Spirit loves, loves, loves to bring the grace and truth of the Son into hearts. To expect that when we expect his presence and power and call upon him in prayer, even in the midst of our uncertain waiting, to expect that he will lead us not only into all truth, but also lead us into action, into labor we can do for him that he guarantees for us is never in his resurrection in vain. I wonder if you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, pastor, I get it. Our lives, our situation is a little bit like the disciples in the first century. But is it really, though? I mean, can we really draw a principle from Act 1? from Acts 1, 1 through 11? Are we as a church really in Act 1 ourselves? I mean, our church is 60 years old, and the church is 2,000 years old. Or maybe you're thinking, is it a little bit arrogant to sort of assume that we're just like that early church and with the apostles? We're putting ourselves in their position and acting like we're as important as they are? And my answer to that is, Well, yes and no. On the one hand, this stage that they go through, this phase of uncertain waiting, which we read about here, it is indeed a single and a unique historical situation 
that can never be repeated. It is a sort of parenthesis, isn't it, between the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit in human history. It's unrepeatable. It's a singular experience. And so just as there's just one crucifixion and there's just one burial and resurrection and sending of the Spirit, well, there's just one period of uncertain waiting. Just these particular things happened with these particular people with Jesus in their midst. So, in a sense, yeah, the period of uncertain waiting is over. And the literal inaction of those days is done. So there's no more hiding for us in an upper room, cowering in fear and disbelief and all the rest, waiting for what's next. Because the Spirit has come, and the mission is underway. You're right. We're not just like them and in the exact situation. But on the other hand, there's another sense in which we are, and we will remain, right where they are. The uncertain waiting of this unique period in history is kind of like our everyday experience of trying to follow Jesus faithfully. Their process of learning to expect great things from God before attempting great things for God This is right where we are and right where we always are. You and I go through some of the same confusion that the disciples did. We believe, we doubt, we want to do, but our doing gets ahead of our loving and our knowing. We're still learning the story of Israel fulfilled in Israel's king, the Lord Jesus. We're still learning the same things he was teaching his disciples in those Bible studies when he would show up and teach them after his resurrection. And you and I also know, like the disciples knew during this period, that if this stuff is really true, if Jesus has really died and risen and ascended into heaven, then our lives can never be the same. We must, we know, we must, if it's true, radically reorient our lives around his kingdom and its mission. We, like them, are called to pour our energy into his kingdom and to seek it first above all things. And yet we never know exactly, do we, what that means on a given Tuesday afternoon. We are uncertain. And this is okay. After all, James says in his letter, doesn't he, that it is pure arrogance to think that we can plan tomorrow and next week and next month and 2021 with any semblance of certainty. Somebody said that man makes his plans and God laughs. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us this, right? Our days are in the Lord's hands, and our plans, even the best of them, are just guesses about what shape our faithfulness to God's kingdom is going to take as time keeps ticking on. Our missional lives, and that's what they must be for kingdom people, they consist of plenty of uncertain waiting. We're sure of many things, but we're never quite sure what we should say or what we should do 
or what we should not say and not do in any particular moment or season of our lives, whether individually or together as his mission people. But friends, haven't we, like the disciples, nevertheless been taught to expect great things from God? You know, nobody quite anticipated exactly how God would do it. But he did it. In Christ, he overcame the world. He overcame its sin, its death, its hell. Its angry crowds. He overcame the worst form of capital punishment that the world could dream up. Luke says at the beginning of Acts, after his suffering, he presented himself with many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus has overcome the worst that the world could throw at him. Jesus gave himself in his incarnation, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And then in this period of uncertain waiting, he gave himself to his waiting and uncertain disciples. He taught them. He trained them. He drew near to them. And then he asked them to wait and to pray. Look, Jesus wants us to anticipate the full flowering of his father's kingdom. Jesus anticipates it and looks forward to it more than any of us do. But because Jesus wants us more, almost than anything else, to trust his father's heart, to trust his father's rule, Well, he asks us to draw near to him by faith, to learn, to pray, and to hope and to trust in this period of uncertain waiting that goes along with us as we go boldly into his mission. And we're here to learn to expect great things from Jesus' God and from ours. And friends, once we've become convinced, deep in our hearts and deeper with every passing day and week and month, that as we say, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. As that bores its way down into the depths of our souls, and then the Holy Spirit seals these hopes to our hearts, well then by and by that same Holy Spirit will send us forth to attempt great things for God, for the God who has already done more for us than we could have ever dared to expect. Who knows? 2021, are you kidding me? I'm making no plans except for to get up and try to put one foot in front of the other and to be faithful to the Lord. But if there's one thing I can be certain of, is that he's calling us, each of us individually, as families, as friends, and as a church, to learn the uncertain waiting that draws us near to his heart and teaches us to expect all good things from him in good time. Father, would you bless us with this experience in these uncertain days? We long for the time when everything can be back to normal, but we know that you want to change us in the midst of this. So for each of us and our friends and families and for our church, we ask that you would Be patient with us and show us the glory of your face as we see it from Genesis to Revelation, as we work your mysteries into the life of our church body 
and as we seek to be faithful in the small things, would you grant us a larger vision of things that we might dare to attempt because we've learned to expect the unexpected and all of your glory in it from you. Thank you for this time together around your word. Seal it to our hearts and make it fruitful in our lives. We ask it in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.